Well, good morning, Hillcrest. It's nice to uh, see that you are watching online, and it's great to have the participation of, of folks from their living rooms. And, uh, you know, I, I've been spending a lot of time in my living room. It's sort of a new uh, place over at the Birch House with my wife. And uh, I don't know if you guys have, have found yourself doing this, but we're, we're watching TV, and uh, every time there's a violation of the social distancing, one of us goes, hey, they can't do that. And uh, what you realize is, up until a few weeks ago, uh, people could get a lot closer than uh, we were able to do. So, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of funny games you're, you're playing uh, with all of this stuff, but I hope, uh, I hope you're having fun still. Anyway, let me read the scripture for you today. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 13 through 32, and uh, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible on, on, on one of your devices, you're welcome to do that. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 32. That same day, two of them were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all of these things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked alongside them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what is this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the past few days? He said, what's happened? They said, the things that have happened to Jesus, the Nazarene, he was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in word and deed, blessed by both God and all people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death, and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel, and it is now the third day since it happened. But, but now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb, and they couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe all that the prophets have said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer, and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses, and he went through all of the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. And then they came to the edge of the village where they were headed, and he acted as if he was going to go on, but they pressed him. Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So he went with them. And here's what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and he broke it and he gave it to them. And at that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him and then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened the scriptures for us? The story of the road to Emmaus immediately follows this remarkable series of events uh, following the resurrection that we celebrated last Sunday. 
The two disciples are returning home when this stranger, stranger to them at least, walks alongside them, this stranger Jesus, recognizing that they were perplexed, asks them, what is this thing you are talking about? Why are you talking so intently? And they looked at him and responded, you know, haven't you heard? You see, Jesus is sort of playing dumb here, and he says, no, I haven't heard. Tell tell me. Tell me what happened. And right there on the road to Emmaus, they began to explain to him all of the events leading up to that moment in time. And when they were finished, Jesus said, why must you be so thick-headed? Why can't you believe the very prophets that you have quoted yourself? And then Jesus proceeded to recite for them all of what the prophets had said about him. And when they got to the village where they lived, Jesus pretended that he was continuing on, and you know the story. The companions invited him home to have dinner. And Jesus sat down with them at the table, and he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And at that moment in time, their eyes were opened, and they looked at him, and they recognized that it was Jesus. And then he disappeared. And they continued to sit at the table and recount all that he had said. There at the table, two grieving disciples recognized who Jesus was after he had been with them the entire time. What's so remarkable to me about this post-resurrection story is really the simplicity of it all. A couple of friends walking home, stranger comes along and joins them on the journey. The stranger recounts and explains the scripture that speak to these events. The friends invite the stranger home for dinner. And as Jesus blesses the bread and the cup, that's when they finally figure it out. The disciples' understanding comes in the midst of this ordinary act of blessing and breaking bread at a very ordinary table. Of course, this scene at the table is a uh, literary device that harkens back to that last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples only a few days before, where he took bread and he broke it and blessed it. And this, this table blessing also points forward to the sacred practice of the Lord's Supper where Christians for all time have been gathering and blessing the bread and breaking it together just like we did a couple weeks ago in our homes. And then there is this object in this story that rarely gets talked about. In fact, I've never heard a sermon about this other object. Can you guess what it is? It's the, it's the center of the story, and we don't even notice it. There at the table, the disciples' eyes were opened, and they saw who Jesus was for the very first time. There at the table where these two disciples had sat many times before, entertaining guests, preparing meals, discussing weighty matters with each other, and perhaps even laughing together. There at the table, Jesus reveals his identity. What this suggests is that Jesus shows up in the ordinary places of our lives, just like tables. And and while we sit on the sidelines watching our kids' athletic event, that's where Jesus shows up. And then when we walk in the park with a friend or our spouse, that's where Jesus can show up. 
These are the places in our lives where Jesus becomes present to us. And if we're not careful, we might miss it. I like what the spiritual writer, Henry Nouwen, uh, says. He says this, The mystery of the spiritual life is that Jesus desires to meet us in the seclusion of our own heart, to make his love known to us there, to free us from our fears, and to make our own deepest self known to us. In the privacy of our heart, therefore, we can learn not only to know Jesus, but through Jesus, ourselves as well. Well, I'd like to conclude my sermon uh, this morning, my thoughts about this passage, by telling you a story about my family table. Our kitchen table was located at one end of our family room, right under the window looking out into our backyard. It was an ordinary table with four legs and a flat top, and the table had uh, expansion leaves that we used on holidays and special occasions when we needed to fit more people around it. I didn't think much about it then, but as I look back at that table, it had a prominent place in our family. It, it was just an ordinary table. It wasn't so much what the table was made of, but it's what took place around the table that made that table so important. We ate our meals there. As a teenager, I seldom made it out of bed in time to get ready for school and be able to sit down and eat breakfast with my family. Surprise, surprise, if you have a teenager. I often gulped down a glass of orange juice or milk and I ate a piece of toast as I rushed out the door to catch a ride to go to school. The table for me was a little more than a stopping place on the way to someplace else. Morning after morning, as I hurried out of the house, the table always welcomed me whether I sat down or not. It didn't seem to matter, and it didn't seem to mind. On the weekends, the table accommodated itself to our more leisurely pace. Boxes of cereal sat as the centerpiece of the table. The newspaper uh, scattered across the top of the table with me and my sister fighting for the comics. My mom made sure that the table contained all of the elements of a well-balanced meal. My sister had her, red, her head wrapped in a towel. Come to think of it, she always had her head wrapped in a towel. And I was always looking for a discreet opportunity to sneak back to bed for a couple more hours of sleep. The table relinquished countless meals to those of us sitting around its perimeter. The table was for us a place of nourishment. When our family entertained during the holidays, it was my job to place the expansion leaves in that table. What was scarcely large enough for our family of four became this huge banquet table. Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays, these were the occasions when our kitchen table becomes something else. It was transformed. And before our guests would arrive, I often looked at the table and wondered to myself, how were we ever able to fill all of this empty space See, there's nothing worse, really, than a big table with nothing on it. But as the guests would arrive one by one with their steaming casserole dish or dish of green beans or jello mold with marshmallows melted on top, my mom placed them delicately on the table like it was an offering. 
And when the turkey was done, my oven mitted dad, he placed that turkey in the center of the table for everyone to see. And we all sat around that table, children and adults, some of us on folding chairs, others of us on the piano bench that we pulled in from the other room. What was once this empty as a barren landscape had now become overflowing with the bounty and the goodness of God. I love sitting around that table listening to Uncle Wes and Uncle Len debate about politics. Or Aunt Alice and my mom telling the secrets of their homemade stuffing. I learned to become a conversationalist around that table. I can still remember the time when someone actually asked me a question about something that was important as if my opinion really mattered. People would come and go from the table, but the meal would last for hours. Just when we thought we were done eating, my mom would discover a a, a three-bean salad hiding in the back of the refrigerator. No one could leave the table without trying my mom's three-bean salad. The table was the center of our family's hospitality. The table was the place where I learned that my opinion mattered. The table reminded me of the goodness of God's bounty and blessing every time we sat down to eat. Once after my mom and dad had sent us kids to bed, I couldn't fall asleep, so I rose and I crept quietly out of my room, peering around the corner, and I could see my mom and dad sitting at the table talking about something important in really hushed tones. I could tell by the way that my dad clutched his pencil, he was not happy. There were a stack of papers with corresponding envelopes spread all over the table, They would shuffle this one here and that one there, and my mom would frantically punch the keys on a calculator as my dad wrote what I would soon discover were checks. I understand now what they were doing. They were trying to stretch my dad's paycheck to cover some unplanned bills. Sometimes my mom and dad would argue around that table. Sometimes my mom would be crying. And sometimes they would simply sit quietly at the table, sipping a cup of coffee and staring out the window together. My mom and dad never knew the times that I looked around the corner and watched them at the table. The table was not just a place where we ate and entertained, but the table was also a place where our family did business a place to to reflect upon the predicaments of an ordinary family, a place for tears, a place to be honest with each other, a place for silence. It all happened around that table. I I never understood how important the table was until my adolescence when I, I pushed the limits of my parents' generosity. One time I arrived home late for dinner And I remember being greeted by a barrage of questions from my mother. My sister, wisely, yet uncharacteristically, sat there quietly in her place, staring at her plate. My dad continued to cut his meat as if he hadn't noticed all of the commotion going on around him. There were raised voices, there were accusations, there was parental discipline, there was adolescent rights, and that name. In the heart of the battle, I called my mom that name. I shouldn't have said it, but I couldn't take it back. 
And without warning, my dad sprung to his feet, and with one motion, he slapped me across the back of my face with the back of his hand, and he said, don't you ever speak to your mother like that again. And then he sat down. In awkward silence, I held back tears of embarrassment and shame. He was right. I had crossed the line. Nobody spoke another word around the table that day. One by one, when we each finished our meal, we got up and took our plates and disappeared. Later that evening, I returned to find my mom and my dad sitting at the table, talking quietly. As I approached them, their gaze welcomed me. And there at the table, I choked out the most difficult two words in the English language. You know what those two words are? I'm sorry. The table is not just a place to eat food or entertain family and friends or to do business. The table is a place of reconciliation between parent and child, between friends, between husband and wife. And when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation, that ordinary kitchen table had more important role than all of the tables where international treaties have been signed throughout all of history. Now, I've spent a great deal of time this morning telling you about an ordinary table in the life of my family. I have a hunch that many of you have tables that look just like mine. I have this feeling that there are countless tables in households all over this community, just like the one that I have described. In fact, you may be sitting at one right now. If you never look at your humble four-legged table the same again, that's okay. But if that's all I've accomplished this morning, then I have failed to communicate to you what I believe this remarkable story from the Gospel of Luke is trying to describe for us. We experience the very presence of God in the ordinary places of our lives, like tables. And if we're not careful, the busyness of life will keep us from experiencing God's grace. If we're not careful, we will get distracted by other more important things and we will miss the forgiveness that can be offered to us there. We will miss the love that takes place around ordinary kitchen tables. Once a month we gather at a table here for what we call the Lord's Supper. Sometimes when we gather at this table, it's to simply be a place to eat and run. It's merely another element of worship that we squeeze into an already busy worship service. We gulp down the elements, we rush off. I know, I've done it many times. Let me suggest to you, the ordinary table is sitting somewhere in your home, which is very much like the table that I've described for you today, that, that that table can be a place for all of these things that I have suggested. And when you go to your table during this upcoming week, notice that your table does a lot more than just sit there. In fact, that table somewhere in your home can be a place where you can experience God's presence. 
Luke is inviting us to recognize Jesus in the ordinary places of our lives and in the process we discover the very presence of God who has been with us the entire time. Remember that that table is a place where it's safe to articulate your faith without fear of reprisal or judgment. Remember that the table isn't concerned about your social status or your educational achievements. And most of all, remember that the table is a place where we can do business with God. And if you haven't done business with God lately, perhaps today is a good day to start. If there are relationships in your family that are frayed, perhaps you need to grab a cup of coffee and go sit around that table until you've hashed those out. Because in hushed tones, God can turn our grief and guilt into laughter. And whether we come to the table in anger or tears, we can experience the reconciliation that God offers us and with one another at that table. It was an ordinary table that the disciples' eyes were opened and they recognized their resurrected Lord breaking and blessing the bread. And it's at the same ordinary tables where God wants to do the same thing in our lives. The question is, will we notice? Will we allow God to find space at our tables? I have this crazy idea. Since we're all locked in and don't have anything better to do, why don't you uh, take a picture of your family or you doing something at your table? Maybe you're working on a puzzle, like my wife. Maybe you're eating. Maybe you're playing a game. Maybe you're doing your bills. Whatever. Take a picture and post that to the church Instagram and Facebook site uh, or post it to your own site and, and uh, tag the church and allow us to see during this coming week all of the tables in all of our homes where we have had the opportunity to encounter the living Christ. God bless you this week as you begin to recognize God's presence with you around your table. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this story of two disciples' encounter with the risen Jesus. And thank you that the story doesn't end with their encounter when Jesus disappears, but that the story continues around all of our tables, wherever we may find ourselves. And in those places, you want to meet us. You want to transform us. You want to open our eyes to forgiveness and to grace and to love. My prayer for us, even though we are uh, distanced from one another, is that during this time of distance and beyond, that our tables would be the center place of where we encounter Jesus. And in his name I pray. Amen. Amen.